Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show. It's uh, your guide, of course, to better cricket. Uh, you might be a player, you might be a coach, uh, but the main thing is we're here to help you out for a little while. My name's David Hinchliffe. I look after things here. And helping me to help you is the head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School. It's Sam Lavery. Hello, Lavers. How's it going? Very well, thanks. Very well. Yeah, just... Um we're into winter cricket, all very busy, and um, yeah, enjoying it. It's been a really good start to the to the winter program. So um, good, good start so far, and lots of work going on. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny old time, isn't it? Where you know we, we go indoors to do to play the outdoor sport, but um, but we, we do what we can. We work with what we've got, and uh, I guess in a lot of ways, it's it's a it's a nice thing to have those sort of constraints on you, isn't it? You know, there's only so much you can do, so you can really focus in on certain things. Yeah, sometimes limit, limitations do focus you up a little bit, and you can you can you can pinpoint a few specific things you'd like to do. And, and equally, sometimes when you're presented with limitations you're not used to, it does bring out something different, and it presents a different situation. Not only for you to coach in, but but the um, the boys and girls to play in as well. So um, that can develop to a bit of, of, of different learning around around the cricket as well. So. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty productive time. Actually, we get loads done. That there are certain things that we can't get done quite so easily. So they maybe take a back seat until we can get outside and the lights a bit better. But it's a, it's an opportunity to really focus in on a few specifics, and, and and that's what we're aiming to do at the moment. And and by the look of it, so far a lot of the a lot of the guys are, have responded pretty well to the first uh, couple of weeks. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Similar situation here. You know, it, I'm in sports halls and indoor nets. And um, yeah, we're, we're just sort of getting to getting to know each other, and and the the players are starting to form a team, and we're uh, we we haven't done too much intense cricket stuff really at all at the moment. One of one group, well, under 14s group, have barely picked up a a cricket bat in in the last three weeks. So <laughs> they'll be pleased, I think, uh, on Sunday when it's their turn to uh, actually do some cricket stuff. Quite nice sometimes, that though, isn't it? Just try and. Um just just increases the appetite sometimes doesn't it just when you take people away from it and, and they, they want to get on with it and they see other people getting on with it and it just elevates the appetite to, to get back into it and to really um, get some hard work done enjoy playing the game however you want to kind of turn it and whatever they need to do but it does does increase appetite sometimes just having a few restrictions on how much training you can do I wanted to talk a little bit um, about adversity this week um, so in the ideal world, of course, we have, um, you know, everything goes very, very smoothly, but the ideal world doesn't exist. And, and many times in life, we have lots of different types of adversity. And there's been some research done into this by um, psychological researchers into um, the effects of adversity on uh, Olympic athletes, very, very high performing sportsmen and women, of course. And what this research found, which is which has some interesting implications, so I thought we could talk about that. Is what this research found is, in almost every case, the most successful athletes were the ones who went through some kind of great adversity in their life, and that can be uh, lots of different things. It can be adversity, of course, in terms of you know getting dropped or, or, or losing important competitions. 
uh, in a sporting context, but it can also be um, adversity on a much wider scale. It can be things like uh, a bereavement or um, struggles because you're from a country which are having political troubles. So there's a whole broad range of things which cause sort of stress on you and the response of the best players, the best athletes is to improve themselves in their, within their sport, within their game, within their activity. So um, I guess what, that, what the implication is for coaches is that adversity is something that A, we have to deal with, and B, it's something that can turn out to be positive, even in the most negative of situations. So in terms of the coach's role within adversity, both sporting and non-sporting, where, where, do, you, where do you see that, Labors? Well, I guess one of the things you're there for as a coach is you are a part of a support network which is going to um, help uh, manage an individual through something that's obviously not been a good time in their life. And you could say, obviously, that could be a, a sporting issue that, that, that's cropped up, a personal issue where it's a, an injury or whatever it might be or, or something, as you've said, a little bit wider within within the family and I, I guess depending on the nature of that circumstances depending on how actively involved you are and how much you're taking a lead on the um, recovery process um, or, or more just in the background and available and and for, for some people who have gone through that kind of bereavement thing um, you're probably more of a, a background member where you're going to uh, you're, you're there and possibly you're a good distraction at times and, and having some cricket away from um, it takes you away from the environment, which which maybe is 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 a difficult one to be in. So that cricket can be some some nice relief at times, but um, e- equally there are going to be a lot more things going on in the background, and you can put sometimes be someone that they want to talk to because you're a, you're a different face, you're a different individual. Equally, you might just be uh, you might not be involved at all in those kind of things. So. Um, in that in that scenario, you're probably taking a slightly lesser role or less less of a driving force behind it. Whereas if you were in the um, position of injury, then um, you're probably going to play a bigger role in terms of rehabbing or liaising mm. with people involved in the rehab, um, or then reconstructing someone technically if there's an adjustment that needs to be made. So um, <laughs> you may well find that you're playing a leading role in that capacity. So I guess. The, the terms of the adversity or the terms of the problem are going to dictate the coach's role in the recovery from it um, and your own knowledge and experience and your, the role of coach that you play is, is is also going to be is also going to be relevant but I think you're, you're always going to try and have some role or you're going to make yourself accessible wherever you can um, and you're probably regardless of how technically cricket it is or, or how far away from cricket is you're probably going to try not to impose yourself on that person in either situation you're just going to try and make them know that you're aware and this is what you can offer them and and if they choose to take you up and and, and utilize your skill or support whatever it might be then, then you're there and if they don't then they don't and, and and they're going to go and pursue it their own way which again could be just as valuable a way for, for them to, to work, work themselves through whatever the issue had been and the relationship uh, with the player then is, is so important. That individual player is so important because 
um, you can you, you can sort of it's very easy to sort of slip into the the coach player role and never anything more than that. But if you know someone, if you get on with someone, if you have a real sort of strong uh, relationship with someone, you can have a better involvement with them, whatever that whatever that adversity happens to be. And they, and that way, it's not even really then a coach and a player. It's more of a you know just a person and a person. So there are times you know when you have better relationships with people, when you can be more helpful than than other times when perhaps you have a little bit more of a of a coach player style relationship and you don't know them quite as well and all the rest of it. So there are different different times where there can be more or less of that. And uh, the other thing that a lot of people have interpreted this adversity research is about saying that well we have to build adversity into our training sessions we have to make we have to make things hard for players we have to make things we have to make them suffer because you know through through suffering you improve and uh, you know we know that because all these olympic all these olympians have suffered in all these different ways so therefore you know if i build that in and i make it incredibly hard for them and make them make them really suffer then that's going to be a way for them to become more successful at their cricket um, but i don't think i think morally i think even even on the level of just you know making someone do sprints until you know they collapse it, it, even if you don't go down the road of uh, you know non cricket related adversity, um, I, I think morally that's you know that's not the way to do things. C- certainly not these days. You know it, where it's about relationships and and developing skill, and it's not it's not about let's see how much we can make somebody suffer. Yeah. Also, if you kind of compare or consider the differences between the sports, Olympic sports are. And I know Olympic sports is a very broad term, but I, I, I would imagine a lot of them are often sports that are, that where hard work kind of wins out. If you know what I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't in cricket, but um, if you look at the sort of success that has come from cricketers, if anything, opportunity has created success rather than adversity, or that might be the kind of perception of it that opportunity to do things is is what's at the, the forefront uh, rather than just um, having something that's gone wrong and not to say that adversity doesn't add greater kind of impetus to it but I would I would suggest that that may not be exactly the same as if you were to compare it to a runner or a rower or somewhere where you probably don't have as much um, relationship or as much conversation through um extended parts of the coaching process and it's more of a case of in in Gareth's terms getting on with it mm. and getting your head down and working very very hard and and perhaps the the um the skills or the technical side of it or whatever it might be the, the processes in there are a little bit simpler however the standards that are required are extremely high so you do get skilled sports that are Lowish on the skill radar, but because of that, you have to be extremely high on the um, commitment and performance side of things. Where there are other sports that are, you can get quite high if you if you can achieve a high skill level. So um, people aren't necessarily absolutely maximising their their own personal abilities, but they're still at quite a high level because the skill level required to them is, is so high anyway. So there is a difference there between. Um, some sports but again that's me interpreting Olympic sports as the kind of of those classic athletic events whereas actually Olympic sports cover a whole host of things and um, with all sorts of different things coming in there every year 
there is a wide range. So that's probably just being a little bit too narrow-minded, I think. It may be, but regardless of that, I think the, you know the important thing. It comes back down to you know what is your relationship with the player? How can you best help them? And if that is, is that purely down to you know if someone's got injured and you're helping them come back from injury, and and you know the best way of sort of bringing them back in in the way that's going to help them the most, then that's it. That's all you need to do. You know, if it's more than that, if it's kind of emotional sport and things like that, those those things are still on the table if you've got the right kind of relationship with those people. So I think that's what it. Really really boils down to is you don't create adversity but if adversity comes along you're the one who is part of the uh, part of the support team that helps people out I think you said that right at the beginning didn't you Lovis hmm. and I think we we all know people who and we've all probably been in the team where there's one person that whether we call it adversity but there's there's one person that really needs a kick up the backside and a bit of a, a roasting whereas another person needs a bit more of a gentle mm. uh, approach to them um, to get the best out of them so again as you've said relationships and knowing the people you're working with understanding what gets the best out of them and understanding what they need to do to to reach the goals that they want to that they want to reach is is what you need to and that only comes from spending time with them and talking to them and, and understanding what makes them tick and what's going to what's going to help them achieve their goals which is I, I guess one of the, the main things we're there for is to, to support them get to where they want to go Speaking of support let's answer some questions now some some cricket coaching questions so we can get on to uh, a little bit more of a cricket uh, track than we have been talking about and the way this works is that uh, people who are listening to the show that's perhaps that's even you dear listener uh, they can send in their questions and we answer those questions as best we can, and we pick a question of the week that wins a prize of an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And that's what Amrit's done. Uh, Amrit has a question, and he says, I'm a wicketkeeper batsman, and I'm finding it hard to open and be keeper for the full game. I play 50 overs. How do I get fitter to do the job? Well, it is a tough job, isn't it? And... Um lots of people have tried to do it over the years and and um first of all i, I guess you what you're hoping for is uh win the toss and bat so you get <laughs> yeah. in there and bat first of all and then you don't have well, to unless you you know score 180 not out <laughs> yeah well that's the thing <laughs> i um i remember having a similar conversation with a, with a keeper about this um last season and he did exactly that we, t- we talked about um what he could do to try and um recover a little bit more in between times just try and relax and like use the opportunity between innings not to go around and be too busy and not to overdo the warm up and not that that kind of thing because he was very very tired and then he did exactly that I think he batted for 42 of the 50 overs batting first so he then batted first and then went to put the gloves on straight away so um, it's very very difficult and obviously that toss bit is, is beyond, with, beyond your control um, first of all it sounds like you're committed to um opening the batting so obviously playing a very important role in the side as opening batsman and keeper so that's um, I mean it's great to see that you've got a prominent position within the side I'd be thinking about what types of fitness are you actually needing to require here and and the obvious bit would be you need to increase your stamina but also it's kind of that repeated power because as a batter or a keeper it is a series of power events or powerful events whether they are jumps small sprints decelerations accelerations hitting a ball diving etc it's it's largely power based so yes i'd be looking to in, increase that kind of 
aerobic base anyway and, and make sure that you have like the, the basic um, fundamental stamina to, to last a period of time but, but equally I'd be looking to try and test that repeated power and, and look at ways of, of stressing your body that way in your in your training time and also make sure that when you are approaching match day you're also extremely well rested into it and you're not training into into Friday particularly um, with anything strength or endurance based at least anyway so um, use your opportunities in the winter as well as you can so get as much as big a base under you as, as you can there and, and, and that would be um, trying to recreate the activities so I know people will go out and they'll they'll do long runs and things like that and that's good for the base part of it but but um, putting yourself in that position where you're going to go and you're going to run a three then you're going to walk a one and run a three walk a one and that's the great for that repeated explosive power that comes from running between the wickets and batting for a long time and and similarly think about the movements you're going to have in keeping so there's going to be lots of squatting there's going to be lots of jumping there's going to be lots of um, side to side movement Again, it's going to fatigue you, but it's all short and sharp. So can you have repeated short and sharp sessions or high-intensity sessions that you then repeat over and over again that are going to hopefully tune your body to be able to reproduce power or maintain the power for a longer period of time um, rather than just having the ability to tick over at low speed, which really isn't going to serve you quite so well given given the job you're going to be in. Um, I know you've kept wicket for a number of years, Dave. How would you go about approaching this type of thing? Um, well, the, the, there's a lot of factors here. We don't know how old he is, and and we don't know um, how long he's been doing it, and, and there's you know what, how many games he plays, things like that. But the way that I used to do it was um, early season. I would just keep as much as I possibly could because the keeping was the thing that, that tied me out. The batting, you know, um, I, you know, I didn't score big scores very often, to be honest with you, so it wasn't a huge problem. But when I did open the batting and keep wicket, which I have done a few times, if I did get a decent score, then, um, yeah, it's it's really the, the keeping that that is more of the problem, I think, than the batting. So I always think that um, if you can, at the very least, like feel like that, you, you know, that you're going to be able to do 300 squats, you know, you feel like you've got that in you, then uh, the rest will sort of follow by itself. So just, I mean, the old fashioned, very old fashioned advice of doing a lot of wicket keeping, because uh, you don't have to worry so much about it. Like a bowler, you obviously have to worry about the impact and the, and the strain on your joints and all that kind of thing. So you have to be careful how much you bowl. Uh, but with wicket keeping, you know, you just, just keep wicket as much as you can, practice as much as you can keep in as many games as you can and see if you can build up that those levels of stamina and then combining it with the things that you're talking about there Lavis you know if it, I always think that the fitness work sort of um counters out what you're doing the the damage that you're doing in the um uh, on the field so you know with bowls it's slightly different but with wicket keepers you know if you're doing a lot of squatting by playing cricket then you probably want to do a lot of stuff which is kind of the the, the opposite of squatting so you know deadlifting perhaps the deadlifting style movements um and you know upper body stuff things that you don't necessarily cover off when you're playing and then you know that's the kind of gym work uh, the fitness work if you like and then yeah get 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 some overs in your legs as we say to the bowlers you know get Get working hard uh, and be prepared for a while to to especially you know there's no way around it if you score a hundred and then you have to go out immediately and uh, keep wicket for fifty overs 
in 35 degree maximum humidity, it's not going to be fun. Uh, and that's where you've got to have the sort of the, the psychological makeup, which which all wicket keepers do, by the way. Otherwise, they wouldn't be wicket keepers just to keep on keeping on, keep plugging through, get through it. The more you do it, the easier it gets. But it will never be easy. The other thing I'd throw in there as well, thinking about it, is it's, I think it's always good to just video yourself keeping. And, and from a technical point of view and from an energy consumption point of view, have a look at are there things you do which can be you can be just snipping out of your routine. So in your routine, do you, do you walk in, do you squat down early? Do you hold that squat for 10 seconds rather than one second? Do you go down and bounce and squat up and down two or three times before adopting that squat position? Are you wasting a number of or an amount of energy each time? Which, if if that is one small little bit of energy, but times by three hundred deliveries, that could have a big impact in the in the extent of the game. So, have a look at your movements. You, obviously, you can look at some keepers, and like Donny's pretty cautious with his movement. He doesn't overexert himself, um, and you'll see that in, in the way he, he he moves around. And it does. I'm definitely not saying be be lazy, or he would be lazy in any kind of way, but. Um, economy of movement is something that's really really valuable for a keeper who has so much to do throughout a, a game whether it's a 50 over game or, or a longer game than that so film yourself whether it's in a training environment or probably better in a match environment and just see if you can get um, a few a few overs footage of the kind of things you do maybe up to the stumps and back back from the stumps and just see if you can streamline that movement you have and, and hopefully save a little bit of energy along the way um, if the batting bit does become an issue for you, and I, I probably agree that there's there's going to be more done in the keeping side of things, but if the batting thing does become an issue for you as well and you find you, you get tired when you get into your 20s or 30s when you do score runs um, and beyond that, try and recreate, in, in the days you don't score runs, try and recreate the kind of intensity that you would have if you had score runs. So if you nick off for none and you don't actually have to do any activity with the bat, Maybe maybe get out there and do do your sprints just so you are conditioning your body to do those things even though you've not scored the runs. You're just you're still getting 40, 40 sprints in or hundred sprints in or whatever you term as the kind of number that you would, would be relevant to you. So yeah. um that would be another thing there. But definitely have a look at your economy of movement and see if there's any little bit little bits of movement you can snip off to try and try and save some energy throughout the session. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and also psychologically, you know, you always have more energy than you think. You know, if the, your team are taking wickets and suddenly you're not tired anymore, if you are, if you're, if some, yeah, if some pie thrower comes on and starts chucking down long hops and half volleys and you're smashing it all over the place, suddenly that that fatigue is is it's much much less than it used to be. You know, so there's always more in the tank. It's just that you know the brain the brain's trying to preserve it as much as it can. So, but if you can keep that in mind and then build up that stamina over time, then yeah, that'll that'll see you in good stead definitely. Good shout, good shout. Next question's from James, and this is a classic one, I think. You know, I see this one on the internet all the time. Um, so let's talk about it in general terms. So James says, which bat should I buy? How do I know what is a good bat? Welcome, Garras, to the show. Last minute arrival. Uh, be- better late than never. Sorry, apologies for my tardiness, <laughs> gentlemen and, uh, and listeners. Yeah, well, welcome, Gareth. So yeah, so you were you were telling us you've you've got you've got a decent bat. I've got a decent bat. Yeah, it's um, it's. What if James can't afford it? If James can't afford it, um, then 
I think we've spoken about this on before, but I was once with an international cricketer who plays for Australia, who went into his bat sponsor's um, uh, big showroom, and they opened up a cupboard which had all of the really what they perceived as being the really brilliant bats, the the bats that were for the you know the top players that were on their books. And he went through every one of those. He he picked them up. He closed his eyes, waved them around. Um, uh, put them in, into two piles, one that he wasn't interested in because it didn't feel right, one that uh, he felt was was you know, had potential and felt pretty good in his hand because ultimately the bat really should be an extension of yourself when you're batting so it doesn't become a distraction it's just something that that, that flows really off of the off of the back of your body movement so he wanted that to be the case and then he uh, tapped some balls up on it and then when he'd been through I think he had five bats that he put away to one side that he was interested in once he'd tapped them he put them all away and he said no none of those feel quite right or sound quite right the combination isn't right so then he went to the front of a shop which is where we would go wouldn't it it's where I'd go to go and get my bat nowadays um, and uh, most people that listen to the show would probably go to and he picked up uh, did the same process and he picked up two bats both of which came from what would probably be described by the company as the mid-range um, club bat um, and he really liked the way that it felt in the, in the hand and then he tapped the ball up on it and he took away one of their um, one of their sort of bargain basement mid-range bats um, much to their horror so then they had to get the stickers of that off because it obviously reflected what range it came from take the stickers off and put the stickers on of the bat, bat that his name has got a signature underneath so going back to his story I think it's about feel um, because obviously a bat is so important when you're out in the middle to it to be a part of your being so instead of going what bat should I get the answer is you need to pick up a load and that obviously means that getting them off the internet is slightly fraught isn't it with with a bit of potluck really um, and whilst a bat can say 2-9 I think we all know when we've picked up 2-9 bats that they can some can feel appreciably lighter some can feel appreciably heavier some have got a better sound off the bat so to me you can't ever get away from the fact that you go to a, a company or you go to a shop and just pick a boatload of bats up because unless you're doing that you, you're really buying a lottery ticket every time you do it online in my humble opinion oh, I, would, I would definitely agree that the um... A lot of a lot a lot of the uh, decision making comes to how it feels in your hand. Um, you've got to be confident. You don't want to be thinking about the bat. And as Gareth says, an extension of your arms or your hands or whatever. And if if you're out there and you're thinking that this doesn't feel comfortable, this is too heavy or this is too light, or you're trying to focus on how hard you can swing it because of how it feels, then you're already at a disadvantage and you're already going to be wasting energy on that when you should just be focusing on the ball. So I'd certainly be thinking about that. Um, in terms of the types of wood you, you're going to see I, I've seen lots of people at very high level particularly seek out different types of wood in, in terms of the grain and I know some people who would specifically want a bat that had a good 12, 13, 14 grains across that are all nice and straight whereas other people I, I know feel that the bat looks bigger when there are only 4 or 5 grains across there and it looks a bit chunky and to them it gives them that confidence but it seems to be that for all of them, it, it always comes back to what makes them feel confident um, rather than what the ball does off the bat, apart from a quick bounce up and down. So how, it, how that feels is, if, if how that feels is the, the key kind of ingredient, going off the internet is not going to help you because you've got no chance, unless you're willing to send them back and forth for a couple of months, 
you're going to be there a while. So um, I would definitely say go to a um, go to a bat maker, go to a shop where there are a good 50, 60, 70 bats in your kind of price range that you can look at and just spend some time there, pick them up. Don't don't look too much into the stickers, although I bet Gareth's bat worth for a thousand pounds has got some good stickers on it, so maybe you want to have a look at that one. But um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, but generally, yeah, close your eyes. Which one feels good? Which one's um, going to be the right weight, the right feel for you? I, I was particularly picky on kind of the handle and how the handle felt more than the the rest of the bat. Um, but everyone's going to have their own preference on 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 what feels good for them. So. Yeah, I'd get out there. Don't commit to you have to buy one 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 day. If you're needing a new bat soon, if you if you can afford to do it, start looking around early and and start going to a few different shops or different factories and and seeing what you can lay your hands on. There is a there is a probably apocryphal story, isn't there, about Dennis Cobbton turning up to a to a match at Lords and um, he was still in last night's dinner jacket. So you know he just popped on some whites, borrowed a bat. Out he went, scored a hundred. Now I'm not sure whether that's true or not, but even if it isn't, um, I do think that 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 whole point about feel and that you know how it has to feel right and you know has to give you confidence. It's it's every pretty much all of it is in the head. It's it's all about you. It's not all about the the, the piece of wood really. Um, you 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 pay a decent amount of money for a bat. It's going to be a good bat, and uh, if you're a decent player, you're going to be able to use it. So then it's down to very 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 fine points of feel and confidence. So uh, while I wouldn't want to unt- undermine that with anyone, I would also want to say to people that uh, don't obsess about it. You know, don't don't obsess too much about the absolute perfect bat. Yeah, this one or that one. If you can bat, then you can bat with almost anything. And if you uh, have a decent bat however it picks up you, you probably do all right so um i i've always been at the school of just 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 hand me just hand me a bat and i'll have a go with it you know i wasn't necessarily much of a batsman to be honest but um i don't think i would have been much better if i'd have been super precious about the blade or, or spent twice as much money on one certainly david gow when i played a couple of games uh with him and, and was around him for a year right at the back end of his career in fact his last year of playing and he had what i perceived as being some of the worst cricket bats that i've ever picked <laughs> up in my entire life and uh, the one occasion that i batted with him he absolutely breezed it around the park timed the pants off of it um, with these horrible open championship disgusting <laughs> cricket bats and me with my absolutely magnificent uh, uh, Hunts County bat uh, reflex which was oh, a gun great bat. Uh, struggled struggled to get uh, Kirtley Ambrose anywhere other than sort of third man really um, so yeah that, that was the way that that one worked um, so I'm with you on that to, to a point but then again David Gower was a relatively good player and certainly significantly better and his batting partner on that given day that is for sure um, yeah so I get that I've just I've just I, I googled get, get open that. championship cricket bat and uh, there's not very much on there so I think a moment's silence for the uh, for the open championship bats their soft gear was very good I like their soft gear the 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 willow was yeah it, it didn't quite cut the mustard from from uh, unless you're David Gower of course <laughs> Of course. Well, yeah, yeah. You give him, you give him a plank of wood, he'd still probably score thirty nine. Oh yeah. Paul Terry also used him as well. And again, I mean, he was such a good player. 
put Paul. You know, PT was a legend, so he used to make it look relatively easy as well, and, and like the rest of us. So, uh, yeah, no. So I, I get where you're coming from on that uh, on that, David. Oh yeah, yeah. But I also understand that people, you know, people like to sort of obsess about these things, and they they enjoy the feeling of control that they get from choosing exactly the right bat. But I, you know, you can very easily take it too far. And it's perfect for the internet. People just love that oh. kind of thing on the internet. Shall I get the the Power Cross four thousand seven hundred <laughs> or the Ultra Bow twelve thirty? Which one's better for my style of bang? <laughs> <laughs> Don't <don't> matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it really doesn't matter. Just try and middle it. It'd be all right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, very good. Very good. And that is uh, ju- just as he's arrived, uh, the show's ending. Uh, Gareth, so uh, sorry for that, but um, you know, time has time has ticked on. Uh, we've and we've got to get on with the rest of our lives. So um, we're going to head off. But before we do that, we need to decide on a winner of the competition this week: the uh, online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And the two questions were Amrit's question about uh, how how does he open the batting and keep wicket, and uh, James's question about the best cricket bat to buy. Which one did you prefer, Gareth? I'm going to go with Amit's uh, wicket-keeping one. I'm a bit biased on that. And, um, uh, yeah. you know, it's not easy. And that's why very few people have done it in 50-over cricket, uh, being able to open the batting and, and do it because of the uh, the mental, I think, as much as the physical, the mental um, fatigue that you pick up over the course of a, a long day and always being in it. So, so yeah, I'm with him on that one. And uh, good luck in your quest to do both skills to the top of your ability, mate. Congratulations. And um, you can send in questions to us uh, for future shows, of course. And um, that's very easy to do. Garras, if someone wanted to get in touch, how could they do that? They could give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com. That's right. You can also get us on various social media platforms. Pitchvision.com is your first port of call there. Um, Do a search for the Pitchvision Academy account. Uh, You'll find us there and you can send us a message. Or you can do it on Facebook, facebook.com slash pitchvisionacademy or Twitter at pitchvisionacad. You can listen to this show every week. If you want to do a search for Pitch Vision Academy in your favorite podcast app, you'll find us in there. Or you can um, find us... Uh, on Facebook, actually, we put the show onto Facebook uh, every week as well and uh, also onto pitchvision.com slash academy where you can find all the old shows, download it, stream it from there as well. So there's plenty of places to get the show every week. And that is all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Garris. Cheers, ladies. Cheers, guys. Bye. Cheers, fellas. <laughs>